God the Father is praised when people brag on His Son, Jesus Christ. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Take your copy of God's Word this morning. Open it up to Matthew chapter 16, please. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 15. You remember that Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus has asked the others, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus zeroes in on those who know him best in an earthly sense. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 15. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Hardly anything is more pleasing to a father than the praising of a son or the praising of a daughter. If you think as a parent or as a grandparent, when somebody praises your kids or grandkids, the reaction that you have emotionally to that, sometimes even if what they're saying may not necessarily be true, you like to hear it anyway, don't you? Well, if you can imagine that on a scale blown up universally, God the Father is praised when people brag on His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus is lifted up, He will draw all unto Himself. And one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you want to give glory to God, talk about His Son to other people. And here Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, you didn't finish out this out on your own. You didn't figure it out. You have been told this by God. He has told you that I am the son of the living God, because before then Jesus has not publicly revealed such a title. And then Peter goes into what will take place. Jesus responds to Peter, this is what will happen to you as a result of realizing that. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation, October 31st, 1517. Martin Luther went to the church door at Wittenberg, Germany, armed with a hammer and some nails and 95 reasons why he thought the church at the time could not sell tickets into heaven, known as indulgences. And as a result, from that meeting and from the outline meetings that took place, Protestant Reformation changed. That's why you have all the denominations that you have today. My dad grew up Catholic, and so I've probably been to his 
many masses for memorial service and Christmas Eve masses than anybody in this room who did not grow up Catholic. And I have an appreciation for the Catholic Church, especially the, the culture of life that they promote. We've kind of united with them on that. And also with many charitable organizations that, that they partake in. I, I'm thankful for, for many of the advocacies that they have. So I'm not here to bash them. As people have asked sometimes, you know, are there Catholics who are going to heaven? I say, yeah. Just like there's Baptists who are going to hell. Because it's not about your denomination. It's about who are you trusting to forgive your sins? Yourself, someone else, or Jesus Christ? But having said that, there, there are a couple of obvious differences that we have from the Roman church, and it's best played out here in Matthew 16. The difference is in what Christ is referring to. The term Catholic itself, little c, is actually a part of the entire church. Some people get nervous when they see the term Catholic in a, in a hymnal or in a Bible study. They say, oh no, I'm not Catholic. Well, little c, you are Catholic, because Catholic simply means universe, universal. What you are not is big C, Roman Catholic, which is a, a, a separate church. And what the Catholic Church would have you believe about this passage is that when Jesus calls Peter the rock, Peter's name means rock, he refers to him as a rock, upon this rock I will build my church, they would say there are basically three pillars upon which the church's authority revolves around. First of all would be the Word of God, what's included in the canon of Scripture, plus some extra books that they add on. Second would be the, what they refer to as the history of the church, church tradition, the magisterium, so the Bible plus the tradition that we bring on. And the third is what they know as apostolic succession. Whoever succeeds Peter as the holder of the keys. Well, Martin Luther comes on and says, no, no, there's only one basis of authority in the church of God, and that is the word of God. And as a result of that, they come into churches and they tear down the idols that are there. They refer to them as the statues. They're called iconoclasts. They, they tear down these idols. They tear up the altar symbolizing the Old Testament. And in its place, they place a pulpit. And on top of the pulpit, they place a copy of the open word of God in the language of the people. Because before then, the service had only been done in Latin. And so only the educated could understand. And most people did not have access to the word of God. And what the Protestant Reformation really brought about among churches today is that the Word of God is the very basis for our authority. And when Jesus speaks to Peter as the rock upon which he is building the church, rock is not isolated there. It's used in many other contexts throughout the Bible. The Bible says that God is the rock. He is a fortress for those who trust in Him. Blessed are those who build their house upon a rock. And so here Jesus is using Peter in a foundational role to build up the early church. And indeed, Peter was used in a lot of different ways, was he not? He was there at Pentecost where he got up in front of them and said, you guys crucified Jesus, but it didn't matter. He got out of the grave three days later, and if you'll trust in him and repent, you can have the same life that he offered. That's not seeker-sensitive preaching there. You crucified Jesus, but he'll still save you. God used him, and 3,000 people were saved on that day, heard the gospel in their own tongue. Peter is often figuring out things first. Sometimes he's wrong, sometimes he's right, but God is, is using him. If you remember, Peter actually denies the Lord when it comes time for Jesus to be crucified. He says, Lord, I'll never deny you, and, Peter, and Jesus says, oh yes, Peter, you will. Peter does, and Peter runs out in shame, and then when Jesus is resurrected, he's sitting on the seashore having breakfast, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus does this to him three times. And on the last one, when Peter's brokenhearted, he says, go and feed my sheep. At one point, Peter is told by the Lord that Satan desires to sift him as wheat. That is, he desires to come in and destroy him. And then Jesus says what I think has to be one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible when he says, but I have prayed for you. You know, that's true of every person who claims Jesus Christ. Jesus prays for you to God on your behalf. He intercedes on your behalf. By the way, Jesus is pretty good at praying. He knows what he's doing. That's a comfort for us, is it not? And God uses Peter in a foundational role to build up the early church. In fact, the apostles and the teachers, and specifically the teaching of the apostles, helps establish that foundation that Christ has already laid as the chief cornerstone. And what is important is not so much what the apostles say, but the teaching that they bring out. The word is the basis for their authority. And Paul says at one point, if we try to teach you anything other than what's already been revealed in this word, do not believe it. Listen, if somebody gets up here and teaches or preaches anything that cannot be backed up in the Word of God, don't you believe it? Because we believe this Word is more than just a book. These are the divinely inspired words of God. And we believe that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so as we see throughout the Scripture, God's foundation is established by Himself. Paul says nobody else can build upon it. All we are doing is passing on the teaching that has been established, and God uses Peter in a great way to do that. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice what he doesn't say there. He doesn't say, I might build my church. I'm thinking about building a church. If people will get on board, I'll build the church. He says, no, no, I will build my church. And you rest assured that even if religious liberty is gone and Christian apathy is everywhere to be found and nobody shows up on Sunday morning, you rest assured that somewhere, sometime, in some place, God is building His church. And He is doing it all the time. He promises that. That's the proof that Christianity is real because His church is still alive after 2,000 years of us trying to destroy it from the outside and the inside. Arguing over carpet, arguing over the color of the Kool-Aid. Be nice if we argued over winning people for Jesus, wouldn't it? He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this word used here is Hades, which also means death. And he's saying the gates of death shall not prevail against it. You think about a, a gate, it's not really an offensive weapon, it's a defensive weapon. And so as people are trying to remain in the gates of death, or as the gates of death are trying to hold people in, Jesus says those gates don't mean anything to me. Go to a cemetery that is barred and as locked up as it can possibly be and rest assured one day every person in there is going to come out of the grave who's in Jesus Christ. The gates of death shall not prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail. He says, therefore, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, because I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He says, I've given you the keys. Yesterday, as I was going into Tell City with my sister, 
I started looking around. I'm, I'm pretty organized for the most part. I remember where I leave things and all that, leave things in the same spot. And as I was driving, I could not find my, my car keys. I kept looking around and wondering, where are these keys at? And I bet I spent a good two or three minutes, and my sister asked, what are you looking for? I said, I can't find my keys. She said, you mean the ones that are in the ignition helping you drive? <laughs> Sign of getting old, folks. Not that you've done it, too. I am convinced that the church of God has lost its keys. You know what the keys are? Entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The keys are the message. We are the ones who announce it. And just as Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed to the Gentiles that you can be saved, so also we go out in the world and tell them there is hope for you beyond this life. C.S. Lewis says it well, if someone lives for a hundred years, the oldest person lives for a hundred years, and society goes on for 5,000 years, then it would seem that society is more important than the man. But if the man lives for eternity, and society only goes on for 5,000 years, then man must be infinitely more important. And every person you run into is going to spend eternity somewhere. You have the keys. And you have the message that no one else can take away. The church of God is the most powerful organization on the history of the earth, and we walk around like it can't do anything. Because Jesus himself is the source of its power. He looks for people who are obedient. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So not only is this the place for the gospel, this is also the place for accountability within the church. If you join as a part of the church, you have a right, you have an obligation, rather, to call people out who are in sin. You have to do it in love, those within the church. And they have an obligation to call you out in sin. You have a right to call me out in sin. I call you out. Because we're meant to be accountable and we're meant to call sin for what it is. People say, well, don't judge. Don't judge. Jesus says, Judge with right judgment. You have the right and you have the authority to call sin what it is if it's backed up in God's Word. So many believers are afraid of offending someone that we won't call them out. We would rather they live in their sin and go on in their lives and perish from this earth than risk offending them. Listen, the most dangerous thing you can do to someone in sin, the most hateful thing you can do, is see them in that sin and leave them there. I'm sure glad Jesus didn't do that. He called people out, but he did it in love, and he did it so they might have life. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. Incredible authority there. And then in verse 20, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. You know why? Because the people of that time couldn't handle it. They thought that Jesus was sort of like a, a, a snake handler or a renegade messiah who was going to overtake the Roman Empire or write a self-help book or something like that. They could not see until he was put on a cross why it was that he had come. And neither can this world see until we show them that God died on their behalf and in the death and the place that they deserve, until we show them God's love, they won't be able to see it. I've been to Westminster Abbey in London. It's one of the oldest churches 
left in London. Every king and queen since 1066 has been crowned within the halls of Westminster Abbey. It's a beautiful place. People are buried there. Statues are there. You, you spend, even if you don't like history very much, you spend hours just looking at it. If you like art and architecture, it's a wonderful place to get to visit. I've been to St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. It's the prime parish church for the Catholics right in midtown Manhattan. The stained glass windows come straight from Tiffany's, which was made famous by the Audrey Hepburn movie years and years ago. Glorious. But the church of God looks much more beautiful than that. And it's not based on the meeting place. Take all the buildings away and there's still a body. They're meeting under trees, and they're meeting in houses, and they're meeting in closed rooms with just a single light bulb because they're afraid they'll get caught. And it's not nearly the brick and the mortar and the steel and the windows and the furniture and the trappings that make the church beautiful. It's the people because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus says one day there will be a glorious church, not having spot, not having wrinkle, because Jesus Christ himself is the head of it. He is the source of it. And wherever you see people worshiping God in spirit and in truth, it is the most beautiful sight in all the world. He says, that's the reason we gather together. Many people say, well, I'm going to church, or I'll meet you at church. Well, you're meeting at the church building, but the church building means nothing without the people. And neither does the church have any power apart from the source of our strength, Jesus Christ himself. You have the greatest message, you have the greatest power, you have the greatest authority. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.